0: Episode 57 Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth, with me your host, Conor Hanretty. This particular scene can feel quite excruciating, since Shakespeare manages to draw it out, and perhaps draw us in, to an almost unacceptable degree. Ever since Ross arrived with the news of Macduff's horrific loss, he seemed to dawdle and equivocate and avoid sharing it. It is a very difficult scene to stage and to perform, because our modern sensibilities all but scream for immediate information and instant gratification. Why wait? Don't sugarcoat it, don't beat around the bush, Ross. But Ross is perhaps justified, since there is a play to be made for the higher cause, the good of Scotland, which some might argue must come before personal grief the needs of the many and the needs of the few. But for all that, the massacre of Macduff's entire family is a personal attack. Macbeth sees Macduff as a personal threat and has himself told us that he was planning this surprise attack. The killing of this family is what will motivate Macduff's actions for the rest of the play. So of course Shakespeare toys with us and keeps us waiting for the news to be delivered. Once Ross has confirmed the good news that Malcolm is armed and ready to return to Scotland, he finally acknowledges that he has more news to share and that it is awful information. We ended the last episode with his grim line that what he has to say would be better screamed into the desert where nobody would hear it. Macduff, with the false comfort of Ross's earlier equivocation, asks who this other news might be for. He says... What concern they? The general cause, or is it a fee grief due to some single breast? Here Shakespeare is using slightly legal language again. Macduff wonders if the news is for everyone, or if it's a grief that will be for someone in particular. This phrase, fee grief, is Shakespeare's own invention, a debt of grief that a single person must owe, or pay, rather than one shared by the general cause. There's a horrible irony to Macduff asking this almost clinical question, when we all know that this awful news is for him. Ross still can't quite bring himself to the point, and answers with yet more tricky language. No mind that's honest, but in it shares some woe, though the main part pertains to you alone. He's stalling, trying to suggest that no honest mind, no decent person, wouldn't be affected by it at some level, sharing in this woe, but that the main part, all of it, let's be honest, pertains to Macduff alone. Macduff, antithesis of Macbeth, has to appear heroic and answers very robustly. If it be mine, keep it not from me. Quickly let me have it this is the Shakespearean equivalent of rip the band-aid off already. Since the world of this play is still a violent, aggressive place, Ross tries to cover himself with one more caveat. Let not your ears despise my tongue forever, which shall possess them with the heaviest sound that ever yet they heard. Please, he's saying, don't hate me forever for what I'm about to say. The heaviest sound that Macduff will ever hear. Ross is pleading with him not to shoot the messenger. Poor Macduff is surely starting to worry now and says, Hmm, I guess at it. What else is such news likely to be? This almost non-verbal hmm is very rare in Shakespeare. The encroaching horror is literally beyond words for Macduff. Now finally Ross tells the truth your castle is surprised, your wife and babes savagely slaughtered. To relate the manner were on the quarry of these murdered deer to add the death of you. Shakespeare uses the word surprise only twice in the play, when Macbeth announces the plan to attack Macduff's family, and now when Ross relates this news. It resounds with malice and foul play, Of course, it is outrageous to attack the castle when Macduff is away and murder his wife and all of his children. The act is all but unspeakable, and since Shakespeare has shown us how the attack began, it's up to a given production how much of this massacre to present on stage, Ross now can't bring himself to describe it. Like the best messengers in classical tragedy, he has found instead a compelling way to make us think about the events that happen offstage, without being so lurid as to describe them. Ross insists that the manner of these murders is so brutal that describing them would also kill Macduff. He uses a very unfortunate play on words. He doesn't want to add Macduff's death to the quarry of these murdered deer. After a hunt, the quarry is the total number of animals slaughtered. Ordinarily, the deaths on a hunt wouldn't be considered murder, at least not back then, not least, of course, because they would have been animals. Here Ross rather clumsily puns deer, as in does and stags, with Macduff's dear wife and children. It's such a bad metaphor that I have to think it is deliberate, and somehow it almost makes us feel sorry for Ross in this horrible, awkward situation, having to describe this nightmare to Macduff. In the background of this terrible hunting image, I feel like Ross might be trying, just trying to point the finger. The hunt and its quarry would have been the privilege of the very highest social orders, perhaps even the crown alone. Only the king, therefore, could have been behind this particular kill. And the family hasn't just been killed, they have been savagely slaughtered. It's easy to glide over these words because they go and they flow and they start with the same letters, but it really is a gruesome image. Of course, Macduff is rendered speechless by this, and so Malcolm chips in instead. As has been happening throughout the scene, he completes Ross's last line of verse, saying, "'Merciful heaven!' "'What, man, ne'er pull your hat upon your brows. Give sorrow words. The grief that does not speak whispers the 'er o'er-fraught heart and bids it break.' Malcolm first exhorts Macduff not to pull his hat down to his brows. This sounds a little weird to us, because nowadays we so seldom wear hats.' But in Shakespearean England they were a constant, and apparently it was a common response to grief to pull one's hat down, perhaps to appear composed or to hide one's tears. It's a very easy line to cut from the play now, since we've lost the context for it in modern life, but it is a curious little insight into how people responded to things in that world as if the earlier nod to messenger speeches weren't enough of a classical reference, Malcolm now gives us an almost direct quote from Seneca. I won't read it in Latin, but I will include all of it in the show notes. The phrase, from his Hippolytus, was popular enough in Shakespeare's time to have been quoted in a variety of other plays. It means something like, little problems can speak, but big ones stay silent. Shakespeare's version is a kind of diluted version of Seneca by way of the French writer Montaigne and a translation into English of his version of it. The grief that does not speak will cause the troubled heart to break. Of course the idea is more that the heart will stop and the sufferer will die of grief. In our more contemporary sense Macduff's heart is surely broken already. Bad enough that they have killed his wife but now he's forced to ask my children too? For someone who has had such difficulty relating this news, Ross seems a little too comfortable now, telling Macduff that they've killed wife, children, servants, all that could be found. This all that could be found seems a particularly callous detail. Macduff's castle is now full of corpses, and we have to assume that Macbeth's thugs didn't stick around to offer any of them a decent burial. Macduff processes all of this information pretty slowly. He has to acknowledge his own fault and then asks again about his wife. He's retracing his steps, trying to to put all of this together. And I must be from thence. My wife killed too? Obviously, Macbeth's spies will have been able to let the murderers know when it was a good time for them to attack. But it still pains Macduff to realise that this trip here to England... His duty to Scotland is the must that had him thence away from his family. And they have killed his wife. We never see them on stage together, but we have to assume that they were a good match and a happy couple. Even if Lady Macduff was angry at her husband for leaving them, her loss is still an agony to him. Now Ross manages to read the room, and in answer to Macduff he says, I have said... There's a note of finality to this. Of course, Ross just means that's what I said. He's confirming that, yes, unfortunately, they have killed his wife. But there's a feeling, too, that he has spoken and has nothing more to add. Indeed, he doesn't say anything else in this scene. Having dug us this deep into grief and anger at the monstrous treatment of Macduff's family, Shakespeare will have to give us a way out. No, he'll spend much of the rest of the play doing something about it, but first we have to reach the end of this England scene and attempt to get Macduff into a fit state to lead the charge with Malcolm. There's just about enough of the scene left to merit one more episode, so we'll leave this misery here. It's been quite a long journey through this very difficult scene, but we'll get to the end of it next week, and I hope you'll join me then.